Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. Well, good morning again. Uh, over the past several months, we've been working our way through Genesis, and uh, uh, we're going to continue that this morning, uh, just to give you a, kind of a little roadmap uh, of the next uh, few weeks. Um, we will be in Genesis today and, and next Sunday, and then we're going to take a break for Advent season, and we are going to go to the Christmas story in Leviticus, of all places. Um, there isn't actually a Christmas story in Leviticus, but we're going to spend our Advent time in that book uh, just uh, looking at the different sacrifices uh, of, uh, of the Old Testament and how those ultimately point us to Christ. So that's what's coming up uh, in the next few weeks. Uh, but this morning, as I mentioned, we're going to be in Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 11 and Genesis chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to that. And over the past several weeks, if we, as we've been working our way through this book, we've seen time and time again the rebellious nature of humanity. You see, over and over, God has lavished blessing upon blessing upon blessing to humanity. And in response to that blessing, they often respond with unfaithfulness. Time and time again, we, we've wondered and asked, you know, if we're looking at this book as if we've never read it before, how would we expect God to respond? And every single time, God responds to the rebellion of humanity, to the unfaithfulness of humanity with faithfulness on his part. Last week, we looked at the Tower of Babel, a very common story in Genesis chapter 11. And we saw that if there was ever a time that God was just going to give up on his creation. It would be at the Tower of Babel when humanity attempted a coup against God. They gathered together in an attempt to overthrow God after ascending to the heavens. And you begin to wonder, has God given up on humanity? And then we turn to Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, we are introduced to one of the most important figures, not only in the Bible, but also in world history. Three different faiths claim him as their founder. The Islamic faith, Judaism, and of course Christianity all look to Abram as the place where their faith started. The Old Testament finds its roots in the story of Abram. The New Testament finds its roots in the story of Abram. Galatians 3 makes it very clear that those who have faith in Christ are the true sons and daughters of Abram or Abraham. This is from Galatians 3. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abram or Abraham. Mentioned that he is one of the most important figures in world history. And as we're introduced to him this morning, one of the things that we're also going to see is that we're reaching a major transition point in the book of Genesis. You see, up to this point, everything that we've looked at in Genesis has focused on world history. It's looked at things that affect every single person or, or, or all of humanity at that time. Creation was something that influences all of humanity. The fall influences all of humanity. The flood 
influences all of humanity. The Tower of Babel, all of humanity involved. But here, as we get to Genesis 12, we see that God's focus begins to narrow. No longer is God focusing on all of humanity, but he picks one family, one man. And through that one man, he pours out blessing. See, God doesn't pick Abram for the sole purpose of ignoring every other nation, every other family on the earth. He picks Abram so that he can bless every other family on the face of the earth. And that is honestly what the whole Bible is about. The Old Testament focuses on this natural family of Abram, of Abraham, the story of Israel. As we read from Galatians earlier, the New Testament focuses on those who are the adopted sons and daughters of Abraham through faith. And so as we begin this morning, as we spend time getting to know Abram, and we're going to spend a lot of time as we go through Genesis with Abram and Abraham, we are going to just spend some time getting to know him, spend some time looking at his family origins. That's why we're starting today in Genesis chapter 11, picking up in verse 27. But before we do that, let me pray one more time. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak through it and you speak to us, God. We pray that now, as we open this holy book, that you would speak to us through your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Genesis chapter 11, starting in verse 27. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of, of Nahor's wife Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of, Terran, or of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Several weeks ago, as we began looking at Genesis, we came upon this phrase, these are the generations of, and, and then a blank. We saw as we began this book that this is a phrase that the author of Genesis, that Moses uses to signal when a new chapter or a new story in this book is about to begin. When he focuses his attention on a new person. As we look this morning, we see and are, are told by Abram that I am now focusing on the story of Abram. Moses gives us a little bit of the family of origins and looks at the background of Abram. And so it's important for us to recognize and that, that oftentimes the original readers, as they were reading this, would probably be surprised as they encountered a couple of the things that are mentioned here. They would have been surprised at the way that Abram is described and looking at his upbringing. So let's look at a couple of these things when it comes to Abram. First, we see where Abram is from. He's from Ur of the Chaldeans. 
This would have been surprising because he's not from Palestine. He's not from where the people of Israel ended up living. He's from modern day Iraq. He's from the place where the Babylonian Empire would one day rule. If we remember earlier in chapter 11, we saw the Tower of Babel, the Tower of Babylon. Abram was born and raised not too far away from the Tower of Babel, from this place where people sought to overthrow God. We're also introduced to his family. We're introduced to his father, Terah. We're introduced to his brothers, uh, Nahor and, and Haran, his wife, Sarai, a couple of his uh, brother's uh, children. And, and as we look at this, what sticks out is that Abram and his wife, Sarai, are childless. They have no heir. Now, struggles with infertility and struggles with childlessness are, are tragic no matter what day or what age we find ourselves in. But if possible, it was even more tragic in ancient times. Let me explain. Uh, ancient, in, in ancient times, if you didn't have a child, then there was no one there to carry on your name. There was no one there to uh, continue to live on your behalf. You see, pagan views of the afterlife believed that if you didn't have children, then there was no one to take care of you in your death. The key to a good, healthy afterlife, according to this ancient pagan worldview, was to have children and to make sure that those children lived good lives after you were gone. That was the key to living a restful, peaceful life after you were dead. And so we find ourselves here introduced to Abram, who is childless. He doesn't have that security of having a restful, peaceful afterlife like his brother Haran does here. Not only was it considered in pagan worldview circles that it was an important part of the afterlife, it was also a sign of God's blessing or a sign of God's curse. Many people from ancient times believed that if God didn't give you children, then you were cursed by him. You were cursed by the gods. And so we see here, as we're introduced to Abram, that this is a man from a place that we wouldn't expect, Ur. He is a man that is possibly cursed by God because he doesn't have children. Notice the, the comparison that takes place in chapter 11 between Abram and his brother Haran. The text is very clear that Haran, even though he is dead, has three children, and Abram and Sarai have none. The wording of some of these verses is extremely awkward, trying to point out this difference. Look at verse 31, where it literally says, says this, Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran. And then the phrase that's trans translated his grandson actually literally is the son of his son. The emphasis here in Genesis chapter 11 is that Abram and Sarai do not have children. They do not have someone to carry on their name. They could possibly be cursed by the gods because they have no heir. So Abram is from Ur, 
He's possibly cursed by God. But then we see probably the most shocking thing, and that is that Abram was actually an idolater. He didn't worship God. He actually worshiped false gods. He worshiped idols. Joshua 24 says this, and Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. You see, Abram was from Ur, which was surprising. Abram was childless, which was problematic. But Abram worshipped idols. We see from archaeological evidence today that Ur, this location where Abram uh, grew up, was actually a center of moon worship. People worshipped the moon there. We see in this passage that Abram and his family begin the journey to Canaan. And as they're on their way to Canaan, they stop in a place called Haran. And they stay there. Haran was another center of ancient moon worship. It would make complete sense for his family to stop in Haran on their way to Canaan because they felt at home when they got there. You even look at the names of Abram's family. Terah, his father's name, sounds like the ancient Hebrew word for moon. His wife, Sarai, is named after the wife of the moon god. One of his nieces is named after the daughter of the moon god. Abram, contrary to what we think, was a pagan moon-worshipping person who was far from God. That's what makes Genesis so remarkable. This man is far from God, has no desire to follow God because he's serving his own God. Thank you very much. And then we get to Genesis chapter 12. I want to just camp on something before we get to Genesis 12 because Abram's family of origins is a good reminder to us. God can use anyone. More importantly, it's a good reminder to us that God can save anyone. The text is very clear to us that Abram did not seek God first. God sought him while he was an idolatrous pagan. Holly read to us a verse from Romans chapter 5 where it says, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 2 says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. Who is more dead than someone who worships the moon? Who is further from God than someone who is seemingly cursed because he doesn't have children? Who is less, least likely to be chosen besides someone who is from Ur? This passage here, as we begin at the end of, of Genesis chapter 11, reminds us that we shouldn't count God out. 
God is in the business of choosing those who are far from him and, elect, and choosing them for a purpose. We're going to see what that purpose is here in a few moments. Look back at your own life. God chose to bring you the good news through someone and you chose to receive that good news. Think of someone in your own life who you think it would take a miracle for them to become a Christian. The story of Abram, right here at the beginning, reminds us that God can use anyone, including you. And God can save anyone, including you. The story of Abram's family of origins is good news to us. And we see that good news as we continue in Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in your name all the families of the earth shall be blessed. As we pick up in Genesis chapter 12, we see Abram, remember, a a pagan, no desire to worship God. He has moved with his family from his homeland, from Ur, to Haran. He moves there because of his father. His father dies, and there's nothing that's keeping Abram in Haran. It's possible that Abram was ready to pack up his bags and return back to Ur, return back to where he had grown up, the place that he had lived almost all of his life. But then something incredible happens. God speaks. God speaks to a pagan who doesn't know him. God speaks to an idolater who is far from him. And he calls him to follow and these verses, they're so rich, so uh, let's just spend some time looking at these few verses. I think they reveal to us really two things. First, they reveal to us the great cost of following God. And second, they reveal to us the great promise awaiting those who are obedient. First, the great cost. I want you to just imagine that you are Abram. You have spent your entire life worshiping the moon. For 75 years, you have prayed to the moon and you have been answered with silence. For decades, you and your wife, Sarai, have poured out your hearts and souls to the moon, begging for a child. And those prayers have gone unanswered. But then this other God, a God that you don't know, speaks. And as God calls you to a different land. This isn't a God that you worship, but when you hear him speak, you feel compelled to listen. This God says, do not return home. Do not stay here. Go to the land that I will show you. The language is clear here in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. This is a great sacrifice on Abram's part, if he is to listen to God. Notice what God calls him to leave behind. He calls him to leave behind his nation. He calls him to leave behind his kindred. He calls him to leave behind his father's house. 
Abram is intent on returning to his home, to his country, and God says, do not go home. Follow me. Abram could have stayed in Haran among the people that thought like him, who were like him, that he was distantly related to, who saw the world like him, that worshiped the same God as him, and God says, do not stay here. Follow me. And probably the greatest ask of all, do not just follow me, but leave behind your father's house and follow me. God asks Abram to follow instead of honoring his father after his father has died by staying there and making his father's name great. Reminds me of Jesus' words in Luke chapter 9. Jesus, uh, Luke says this, To another, he, being Jesus, said, Follow me. But the other said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. You see, God calls Abram to leave behind everything that he has ever known. He calls Abram to leave behind the comfort of his past. But he doesn't just call, call Abram to leave things behind. He also calls him to move forward, to journey forward on faith. God doesn't tell Abram where the destination is. He says, go to the land that I will show you, not to the land that I have shown you. Journey forward on faith. And I hear that, and I wonder what I would do if I were Abram. I wonder what I would do if God called me to leave behind my past and to walk forward on faith, and then I realize that God has. God has called all of us to leave behind the ties to the past and to journey forward on faith. Luke 9, I'm just going to read the rest of this passage. It says this, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Friends, obedience to the gospel, the obedience to follow God is costly. It costs us a great deal, just as it cost Abram a great deal. It costs us our past as we are made alive in Christ, as we are new creations in Christ Jesus, we die to our old desires. We die to our old way of thinking. We die to our past. At the same time, we journey forward in faith. We're not sure what the future holds. God doesn't promise us anything about the future and what it will, pertain, what it will contain for us when we place our faith in him. We don't know if there's going to be pain and suffering. We don't know if there's going to be joy and peace. But God calls us to journey forward through faith. God simply calls us to the go to the land that I will show you. Follow me in faith. The cost of obedience 
is great. But at the same time that the cost of obedience is great, so are the promises for the obedient. Notice what God promises to Abram here. He says, first to Abram, if you follow me, I will make you a great nation. Abram had to leave behind his family, or his country, and his kindred. And God says, if you do that, I will give you a country, a nation. I will make you a great nation. God also says that I will bless you, Abram, and I will make your name great. Last week, we looked at the Tower of Babel, and we saw one of the reasons why they attempted to build this tower was to make their name great. And God scattered them across the face of the planet. But here, God promises to Abram that he will make Abram's name great. Notice what else he mentions, that he will create this special relationship with Abram that no other family on earth has, that God will bless those who bless Abram, and he will curse those who curse Abram and his family. Even just a few verses later in Genesis 12, we see this play out. Pharaoh takes Abram's wife, Sarai, for his own. In a way, he's cursing Abram. In response, God curses Pharaoh. Later on in the book of Genesis, Joseph, one of the descendants of Abram, is brought into Egypt and through a lot of different things, is eventually made one of the leaders of this nation. Pharaoh blesses Joseph, and through blessing Joseph, the rest of Egypt is blessed. God has a special relationship with Abram and his family. But notice the the final thing here at the very end of verse 3. It says this, And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The reason why God chose Abram was for a purpose. And that purpose was to bless every other family on the face of the earth. God hasn't forgotten about all of the other families. God is focused on saving each and every one of them. And that's where Genesis 11 verses 10 through 26 come into play. Genesis 11, 10 through 26 is a genealogy. We skipped over it this morning. We didn't skip over it because we don't believe that it is valuable scripture. We skipped over it because it ties in right here to this verse. Those verses connect Abram all the way back to Adam through Noah. In Genesis chapter 3, we see Adam and Eve are cursed by God because of their sin. We call this the fall. And the connection here is to Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, saying that God will one day fix the curse. God will one day reverse the curse. Because all families on the earth will be blessed through the children of Abram. You see, these verses remind us of this. They remind us of the great cost, but also the great blessing of following God. The cost of following God is great. Some of you are more aware of that than others. But the blessings for those who are obedient are great as well. And so God calls Abram to great sacrifice. 
And he calls him in a way to bless others. Let's see how Abram responds in verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Notice how verse 4 starts. Verses 1 through 3 are talking about this great cost that Abram will have to give up, but also this great blessing that he will receive. This is a God that Abram has never encountered before. And verse 4 says, so Abram went. But it doesn't just say, so Abram went. It says, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. What we see from Abram, this man who has never worshipped God, who has only worshipped idols up to this point, after he is called, we receive this radical obedience. And the reason for this radical obedience is seen in Hebrews 11. It says this, By faith, Abram obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. See, Abram obeys with his radical obedience because of faith. It's because he trusted God. It's because he considered God to be trustworthy. What God said to be trustworthy. Hebrews 11 describes faith like this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And the conviction of things not seen. I love that definition there of faith. What is faith? Conviction. This shatters any false idea of easy believism. That I can just say a prayer and then I have faith. That's not faith. That's a bumper sticker. Faith is conviction. It is deep-rooted. It is the anchor that holds us steady in the midst of the waves of doubt, in the face of uncertainty and blindness to what God is doing in our lives. Faith holds us steady. It is a radical confidence, an unshakable confidence in God and in what God is will do and is doing in our lives. You see, this faith, this conviction leads us to radical obedience. And that's really the only explanation for Abram's obedience here. Something significant happens between Hebrews 11, verse 32, and, or, sorry, Genesis 11, verse 32, and Genesis 12, verse 4. We see this radical change in Abram. And the only explanation for this change is what takes place in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Abram hears God speak. Abram hears God speak and his life is forever changed. Abram hears God speak. 
and world history is forever changed. You see, Abram's response really points to how we should respond, shows us how we should respond with obedience. Abram's response shows us how we also are to respond to the call of the gospel, to respond with obedience. And some of us may be wondering, well, how do we do that? Hear God speak. Hear God speak. Listen for God to speak through his word. Listen to God to speak to you. If you listen for God, you hear God in his word, you cannot, you will not walk away unchanged. Like Abram here, lives are forever changed by hearing the word of God. Leads us to conviction a deep-rooted confidence in who God is. And that leads us to obedience. And we see that continued obedience starting in verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Remember, Abram does not know where his final destination is. He doesn't know where God is calling him. Each and every day he gets up. And each and every day God calls him to go forward. He doesn't know the destination. This happens for months, possibly even years. What's significant here is we see God speak in verses 1 through 3, but then we don't see God speak again until verse 7. A lot has happened in Abram's life from verse 3 to verse 7. It's very possible that Abram continued on by faith in silence for months, possibly even years. Maybe you find yourself in the same place. Maybe you find yourself in a place where God is silent. Where you haven't heard God speak. You haven't encountered God in his word for months, even years. You feel like you are going through a desert spiritually. I pray that Abram would be an example to you and to me to continue journeying on by faith, trusting that God will one day speak to you again. And so Abram finally arrives in Canaan, and as he's near Shechem, God appears to him once more and says, this is it, this is the land that I will give to you. And Abram, in response, builds an altar. This is, again, a sign of Abram's faith. Altars were relatively permanent. Abram constructs this altar as a way of saying, God, I believe that you will one day give me and my descendants this land. I believe that you are with me. I trust your word. And so he builds an altar. And then in verse 8, he builds another altar. But before, but not just building an altar, he also calls upon the name of the Lord. 
This phrase, call upon the name of the Lord, used one other time in Genesis up to this point. Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis 4, this phrase is a word of hope. It's a sign of hope. See, Genesis 3, Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden. Genesis 4, their children murder one another. The descendants of their children continue to spread evil across the face of the earth. Things are looking bleak for humanity. And then these words are spoken. Seth's line begins to call upon the name of the Lord. It's a sign of hope that God hasn't forgotten humanity. And humanity hasn't forgotten God. And that same hope is found here in Genesis chapter 12. Abram calls on the name of the Lord. Hope is not lost. In Genesis chapter 3, we see God promise one day a descendant of Eve who will one day destroy the descendant of the serpent. And here, that same thread is picked up that this descendant will come through Abram. This descendant is the ray of hope. God has not forgotten his promise. God is faithful to keep his promise. And one day from this idolatrous, moon-worshipping pagan, God will rescue everyone and reverse the curse. Friends, that's really what this text is about. If you were to just sum it up, I, th- I think it would be this. Following God comes with great cost, but with unfathomable blessing. Following God comes with great cost, but unfathomable blessing. And that's what Abram's calling reminds us. There is a great cost to being obedient to God as we follow him, but it is worth it. For following God comes with great cost, but also unfathomable blessing. A word of caution for us this morning. If we take Genesis 12 and we say that this passage is telling us that all we have to do is to sacrifice. All we have to do is be obedient to God and then he will bless us in the same way as Abraham. Then we have missed the point. We've also missed the gospel. This passage is not telling us that we will be blessed like Abram if we are obedient to God. You are not Abram. I am not Abram. None of us are Abram. God nowhere promises that we will have a great, that we will have one day a great nation, that we one day will have a great name. God nowhere promises that to us. But he promises us something better. He promises us through his son, a relationship with him. You see, Genesis 12, 3, ultimately fulfilled in Christ, that one day through Christ, all nations on the face of the earth will be blessed. And through Jesus and his perfect, sinless death, God rescues people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation on the face of the earth. And the blessing that God gives to us for obedience to the gospel is himself. Infinitely better than possessions. Infinitely better than a name. God gives us himself. The cost of obedience is high. But the blessing 
for those who are obedient to the gospel is worth it. And so as we close this morning, just ask yourself, what is God calling you to do? How is God calling you to be obedient? For some of us here, that might mean just like Abram, leaving behind the safety of our past and journeying forth by faith through Christ. For others of us, it might mean that we are to journey forth to share the gospel across the street or to the ends of the earth even. For others of us still, it is to let go of that one area of sin or idolatry that is holding us back from obedience to God. Still for others, it might be financial sacrifice for the first time. It might be stopping to look at the church not as a consumer, but as instead as a way to offer up your life and to serve. God calls us to obedience to the gospel. And we can't do that on our own. But the good news of verse 3 here is that God enables us to do it through the power of the Spirit, which is given to us because Christ has overcome sin and death. Let us respond with obedience. Let's pray. God, I, I just ask this morning that you would help us to be obedient to the calling of the gospel. First and foremost, that we would be obedient to the calling to believe the gospel. To trust in the gospel. To place our faith in you because of the gospel. And from that point, God, that you would help us to grow in our faith. To grow to be more like you. To grow in Christ-centered obedience. Whatever that may look like for each and every one of us, God, I pray that you would enable us, not as a way of earning righteousness in your eyes, earning favor in your eyes, but instead because we already have it through your Son. God, I pray that you would help us and you would go before us. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.